Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Medical Association of Georgia. With over 7,800 physician members, MAG is pleased to advocate on behalf of Georgia's patients and physicians. Visit mag.org and on Twitter at mag1849. Join the conversation on Twitter at Top Docs on BRX. What is up, everyone? It is C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. It is our ongoing series with Medical Association of Georgia. We've been having some fantastic guests over the last few months with Medical Association of Georgia. We've been partnered with them, actually, for a couple of years now. So folks have been checking out the show. We've been talking about some very important topics here lately particularly with some of the changes in legislation affecting how healthcare is reimbursed. CMS has made a number of changes around how the Medicare program uh, evaluates the care we deliver as well as reimburses for it. And we'll be covering some things today kind of related to that a little bit. The uh, Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative is designed to help more than 150,000 U.S. clinicians improve quality and reduce costs. And you keep in mind that Medicare is changing from a volume-based reimbursement program to more of a quality and value-based system. And obviously that's got some growing pains going along with it. It's got a lot of new rules to understand as well as how that's going to affect your practice and what do I need to do to change the way I'm delivering care, change the conversations I'm having with my patients. Um, We have a couple of experts in the studio with us today who are going to be able to talk about just how we go about transitioning towards that quality-based, value-based healthcare delivery model. Uh, We've got Deborah Simmons with us in the studio. Caught her here in town. She's from North Carolina. Thanks for sitting in. Thank you. Kind of a dash from the studio straight to the airport here. (laughs) So we're really happy to have her. And then, of course, we have Kathy Whitmire as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I'll I'll let you all kind of introduce us to the organizations you're with. Um, You'll do it better than me. Uh, Deborah, let's start with you and and we can jump right into our conversation. Sure. Our our practice transformation network, and let me just mention there are 29 practice transformation networks that have been awarded under under the Transforming Clinical Practices Initiative. And our our, uh, practice transformation network, which is called Quality Impact, serves the Southeast region. So we are really covering uh, nine states within the Southeast region, Alabama, Louisiana, all the way to Florida and up to Tennessee, as well as Virginia. And we have three partners in our practice transformation network. And uh, all of our partners have worked together for many years. And we have actually provided transformation type services for many of those years. Uh, We are currently endorsed by the Georgia Academy of Family Physicians, and although we've reached our target goal, uh, because of this endorsement, we are still enrolling uh, interested practices in Georgia. And as I mentioned, RPTN is comprised of three partners uh, who offer expertise in what we believe are the three key factors in ensuring uh, success and transformation. Um, Data transparency, attainment of clinical quality metrics, and care delivery processes. And as physicians enroll with us, they will benefit because of of this this transformation solution that we offer really is aligned as as with most PTNs with the quality payment program. So the services that we're providing through our PTN, we assist the physicians in really gaining that attainment and those processes that are going to be so important and required under the new payment models through free resources 
and tools uh, and this robust um, platform, excuse me, robust population platform. I think the other thing I would want to just mention is as physicians enroll with us in our practices, we really do align with their own uh, goals and aims. Uh, We don't come in with a standardized transformation package. We really are looking at what currently is going on in that practice and the goals and aims they have and what sort of services they are already uh, undertaking via transformation or quality improvement, and then just really try to augment that process so that they're successful. How about you, Kathy? Talk a little bit about your organization and if you hear anything that maybe is a little different, certainly differentiate the organization that you're with because you're with a practice transformation network as well. That's right. And um, yes, the National Rural Accountable Care Consortium is a national PTN, mainly because we focus on the independent and smaller practices in the rural markets of America. We have currently exceeded our four-year goal of 7,000 providers and over 800 practices. We're in discussions now with CMS about extending that goal. But of course, the word has just gotten out about the incredible resources. As Deborah mentioned, the resources are absolutely no cost and they're funded by CMS in order to prepare the practices and and basically have the infrastructure that they need to move forward to survive the value-based payment reform under the Affordable Care Act. So there's something coming up very soon. It's called the um, quality payment program that um, Secretary Burwell with CMS has um, just implemented or just ramped up. And she stated that over 80% of the payments are going to be connected to um, value and be performance-based before the end of 2017. So um, there's new measures and new ways uh, to really, that practices are going to be required to measure and report this program really prepares them for that. So it's a it's an incredible gift from CMS Innovation Center. And before the penalties begin in 2019, so I want to encourage all the physicians and practices listening today to enroll in a PTN and receive these free services. And we, we should go back, I guess, and, and flesh out a little bit more what the, the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative is. I'll let you continue Flesh out a little bit more about what it's all about, what it's trying to achieve. Um, Basically, it is, as I said, preparing through the Affordable Care Act, preparing our practices to perform in a value-based world. Um, You know, there's got to be infrastructure and a little bit of that infrastructure that our um, PTN or Practice Transformation Network really is based on is care coordination. Um, Every practice must have someone in the role of care coordinator in order to move forward, not only to to, um, implement the programs, but there's specifically a new um, service called chronic care management. And and through that chronic care management, we may talk a little bit about that later, but um, there's infrastructure that's required. So practice transformation means preparing for population health and implementing population health programs. But not only that, the annual wellness visits and all the new preventive screenings that Medicare is now paying our providers for, um, we just want to make sure that you have the tools and resources so that you can, and we have a strong focus on the revenue and the bottom line. So we want to make sure that as volume-based payments go away that are paid on an E&M level, 
that we can supplement those with all of the preventive screenings and the wellness type population health codes and services that actually can add $225 to $300 annually per Medicare beneficiary to each practice. Now, I'm going to sound like a total layperson here, but trying to get an idea of how this is laid out, would you would it be a, analogous to when you look at the Medicare program that there are a number of MACs that administer the reimbursement side of things? And so the MACs were independent businesses, but they basically partner with CMS to be able to administer those programs. Is this, is this similar, the organizations that turn into what are practice transformation networks, or are they in existence prior to this and and informing some some rules. Talk about what the background of those companies are and how this transformed sure. into what it is now. Sure. Um, I'll just make a few comments and then maybe Kathy has some um, additional ones to add to that. The practice transformation networks really are that agent from CMS that are helping practices prepare for, as Kathy mentioned, the new quality payment program. So we don't continue with the practice after this initiative, the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative. I think uh, Kathy's organization may be just a little bit different because they may continue with some of the practices that enroll with them. But our goal is really to enable those practices to build those skill sets, to build those uh, that that intellect around what those quality metrics are going to be and so that they can, in the future, as the quality payment program comes into play, maximize their opportunities around those payment incentives. So we're enabling, we're facilitating, we're mentoring, we're bringing free resources to help them build that business acumen, if you will, over time, over the next three-year period that's left within the, the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative so that they can continue on. So Uh, We will, at some point, unless this is extended by CMS, will walk away at the end of um, three remaining years and expect that the practices will be ready to, again, maximize their opportunities, regardless of the pathway they they pick under quality payment programs. As you may know, there are two pathways. Not everybody will be able to move into advanced payment models because they're not ready. They're not large enough. They don't have the skill, not necessarily the skill set, but they don't have the resources internally in the infrastructure to be successful under that. So many will stay in the merit, uh, the merit or the MIPS program, which is called the merit incentive uh, payment program or payment system. Um, and our goal, again, in that system is to help them maximize those opportunities around meeting those expectations under that program. Well, were the were the organizations that are serving as the print uh, practice transformation networks were they in existence doing quality and case management type services and then then they obviously then fit right into this sort of role is that how that transformation happened basically yes okay um all of us have been working whether it's the regional extension centers we've all had networks and worked to support and already sort of um, with meaningful use and using electronic health records. And the the big thing here that I really hope the physicians will take away is um, access to data. You know, there are still a lot of physicians in Georgia without an electronic health record. And and my concern is that those physicians will be left out of networks and won't be able to report accurately and compliantly to be a part of value-based health um, programs. 
that are coming very, very quickly, not only from Medicare, but all the payers. Because 2017 is when things really begin to kick in along these lines, correct? Yes, the performance period for MIPS actually does begin in January of 2017. And then the penalty, um, it, the penalty is up to 4%. And we hope some bonuses too. Right? Yes. Then bonuses <laughs> up to 12%. <laughs> yes, nobody talks about the three times the incentive on the bonus side. And, you know, our goal is to make sure that um, all of our providers have the inf- infrastructure in place so they can succeed and that they really do have a choice. They don't, they're not forced into to the new advanced payment models but that they have an opportunity to be independent and to um, truly be successful. Those that are um, really reporting quality and and having a good transition into this value-based healthcare. Where do you find the typical practice is when you get involved with them to begin this process of educating them? I mean, how, how far do they have to go from way we're doing things today to being ready truly for the TCPI's goals? I'll, I'll just start with that by saying that CMS has really put a little bit of the, the infrastructure and requirements into place to ensure that the first step is to assess the practices. This assessment is truly aligned with the patient-centered medical home. And through that initial assessment, it's a baseline assessment, and it tells us where the practice is so we can address care gaps and then help the practice set aims to improve. And um, literally, our alignment with PCMH is so close that once you complete the, the program, which is, as Deborah mentioned, four years with the three remaining years in this, this program, that they're able to qualify for the patient-centered medical home certification through NCQA. So uh, I want to encourage everyone that, you know, if you're not involved in a in a TCPI program for no other reason than to prepare your practice for patient-centered medical home, it's, it's worth the, the weight in gold. It really is. To do that, will I have someone from the PTN in my practice with me on a, I won't guess daily basis, but what's that engagement like? Sure, I can address that. At least in RPTN, we actually have both on-site, <clears throat> excuse me, and remote counseling. So after the assessment that Kathy mentioned is done, we actually do what we call an alignment webinar, where we say these are the I, these are the uh, components we identified in the assessment. We think these are our aims and goals that you have. We've been able to align that again with this CMS document and the quality payment program as far as what the expectations are. And then we provide um, a roadmap, essentially what are the actions or what are the goals and what are those interventions that we're going to work with you on to take you where you want to go. And I think that's important to understand is that a practice needs to identify where they want to go. We're not forcing them to do this. We, uh, we are bringing resources. We are bringing the intellect, if you will, from CMS explaining this is where these are where the opportunities are under the new quality quality payment program. But again, so many practices, and we have all sizes of practices. We have large networks as well as small individual solo practitioners and some rural health as well. And many of them, um, again, have all different sorts of goals and aims. And so we really need to align with what their their current goals and aims are 
with the understanding that some of this is an education process. Um, I don't know about Kathy, but we certainly have learned a lot from practices who really haven't even heard about the new quality payment program. And so we start at that phase and then move them through. But we do actually have many practices who've done quality improvement, have done some transformation in their networks. And so, again, we want to make sure that, you know, we sort of uh, adjust our work with them to be where they are today and then take them to where they want to go. Talking with Deborah Simmons, Project Director for Consortium for Southeastern Hypertension Control's Quality Impact Practice Transformation Network, and Kathy Whitmire, Regional Vice President for National Rural Accountable Care Consortium, and learning about the process that a physician's practice needs to be preparing itself to go through to be able to be compliant with some of the new regulations around uh, CMS and the Transforming Clinical Practice Initiative. I'm curious... Kathy, when you all are engaging with these practices, do they, you, you mentioned, Deborah, that, that some folks aren't even yet fully familiar with this. So when you call on them, I mean, what's the outreach? How is that outreach being engaged? Do you have people on the street or inside sales type folks who are reaching out to practice to let them know that this resource is available to them? I'm not selling you anything. Uh, this is literally being made available to you so that you can comply with these new regulations and thrive within them. How, what's the reception like? It's excellent. These practices really do not know where to go for resources. And that's why I appreciate the opportunity to share today. Because um, as you said, um, we've got a, a really hard deadline in the curve. We're almost, you know, between now and 2019, we're more than a third of the way there. And this is not something that you can jump on and do an all-nighter and do a few things. <laughs> this, Guys, this isn't meaningful use where everybody gets on and everybody puts in all your measures real quick. This is a, something that m- you must develop a culture of change. And it's not ICD-10 that's going to get pushed back a few more that's, months again that's and right. again. That's right. So change is, is, we're driving change. And as Deborah said, it's important to have boots on the ground. There's absolutely no way that we can provide a group of resources. We can't just give someone a health data analytics software that's provided in our program. We have an IT integration analyst that works directly with the with the practice to ensure that we're fully integrated so that we can provide a care planning software, but also so that they can report quality and take advantage of quality dashboards. And in addition, talking about the boots on the ground, we also have a coaches that coach and mentor the care coordinators uh, with a 26-hour certification so that they are fully um, educated on how to coach patients to better health. And that increases our patient engagement. And then finally, I think, and most important, we have a quality improvement specialist those folks are trained through the QIOs and worked in quality reporting nurses that work individually in the assessment um, phase. And then every six months, we're reass- the practices are reassessed. So we're always looking for sets of aims and let's ensure that you're meeting those aims because CMS is looking at us to move these practices up to a, to a scale of a 3.0, which is the level three patient-centered medical home. Going back to my what may have been a coarse analogy of with Max and NCMS versus PTNs and the the TCPI program, Deborah, I'll, I'll ask you. I mean, 
we talked about the fact that there are four PTNs around the state of Georgia that practices can get involved with. We talked with Dr. Patton from Compass PTN not too awful long ago, for example. Am I Is my practice aimed at one of those or am I to choose how, how who should I be involved with? Does it make a difference? Because you, you talked, Kathy, about the fact that, that you focus on small rural practices and you're not nece- necessarily in Georgia. The, the max that I mentioned, they have two or three or four states they're responsible for. It sounds like it may or may not be quite the same here in that role. And who, who do I need to get involved with and how do I choose? Sure. Well, there if are, I have a choice. I guess the good the good news is that there is a choice. Okay. Um, in the state of Georgia, and there are four PTNs that actually cover that area, uh, cover the area of Georgia, and I think the the way you decide how to get involved or who to get involved with is really looking at what the PTN offers. Uh, each PTN has um, some specific offerings. Um, they're not all the same. Um, as Kathy's mentioned, they really focus on rural health or, uh, practices. Our scope is quite different. Uh, we we uh, uh, you know, offer, provide offerings to small practices as well as larger networks. And I would say uh, we are pretty much aligned with, with Kathy's PTN as far as our offerings. We also have the Population Health Platform. We bring uh, data to the point of care for physicians so they actually can see uh, live their data on how they're uh, uh, performing as far as some of the chronic care disease management improvement opportunities. We provide care coordination, coaching as well. And we really look at some of those processes in in a practice because what we want to do is try to lift that heavy burden that I think currently is really heavy on physicians today. I mean, they're expected to do not only patient care, which is their passion, which is their business, but they're really strapped with a lot of the administrative burden. And so what we try to do is really work with the healthcare team to really expand those roles and responsibilities around helping the patient, engaging the patient, doing some of the pre-visit planning so that when when the patient comes in to see the physician, that's exactly what they're there for. So the physician can provide that direct patient care. So I think when we look at um, choice, I think it's up to the physicians to really explore what each of the PTNs offer and to identify what best fits with their needs at the time. You've been sharing your, your thought here. Also, I'll stick with you and then we'll, I'll mm-hmm. get Kathy's input on, on this question as well. From, from the perspective of setting myself up and my practice up for success, are there some key thoughts that I sure. need to be you know, bringing with me as I enter into this process? I would mention two or three. One is understand your current state of affairs. Where are you today? Where do you want to go? What is your inner in infrastructure and what kind of resources do you need? Um, and then again, we can augment some of those resources for you over an interim basis. But, but I think a key understanding of where you are today, either do an internal assessment. If you join the, uh, one of the PTNs, that assessment is provided free of cost. So you'll know where you stand um, today, again, in accordance with where CMS expects you to go if you're going to be successful under the new quality payment program. I think leadership is key. I think uh, having a key champion in the practice or two or three, we ask for three. We are looking for a physician lead. We're looking for a uh, quality improvement lead, and we're looking for an administrative lead uh, when we look into when we enroll practices. And some practices, obviously, 
are not going to have all of those individuals, but we're, we're, we are key on trying to identify a leader who works with us directly, but more importantly, has the authority to engage the rest of the practice and make some decisions. We also think good actionable data, it's been mentioned many times today, uh, is key. Uh, some practices don't have access to that. Um, as a, a PTN, we can provide that access. But more importantly, taking that data and helping the practice interpret what needs to be done with that data. What is that data telling you? What are the actions that can be put into place to drive some of the changes that are so necessary? And then I would say, finally, just this development of skill sets. If it's not there, that's so key to develop that healthcare team over time so that, um, again, not only lifting the burden, but really encompassing the importance of patient engagement. And I agree with everything 100% that Deborah said. And I would add a different, um, my background is business development. And I would add that um, we, there are so many opportunities to grow market share. So we have a focus not only on growing your bottom line through really um, maximizing the, the new preventive screenings in the population health services, like the annual wellness visit, but also a, creating an image of having a concierge service. You know, chronic care management program by Medicare pays $42 per Medicare beneficiary per month, plus or minus a dollar based on your adjustments. But honestly, if you will take about 200 patients that um, on on a practice of about 800 to 1,000 Medicare beneficiaries, and you multiply that times $42 a month, you get right a little bit more than $100,000 a year revenue you can add to your practice. So you can bring in a care coordinator or designate someone in your practice to serve in this role that meets with those with two or more chronic conditions, um, that has access, creates a care plan, gets the patient engaged and buys in and signs this care plan and agrees to these services. So it is not just something you got to check off. It's not a checkbox. This is a change in the way you market yourself, the way that you see your patients. And then the physicians utilize and leverage the nurses and um, other people in the practice to do a lot of this population health work. So they have more time to spend with the sickest patients. So just remember to all you physicians out there that um, there's this does not hurt. It does not cost you a and if you get engaged with either either one of our practice transformation networks, um, and I also want to clarify, we are not just rural, we're rural and independent group, smaller practices. We just don't do the huge, great, big, but we, we have a good resource and a reference there. Um, we work with Gwinnett Clinics and Gwinnett, and they are very happy and successful. And I would encourage any of you doctors to call either, you know, call someone like Dr. Dad Riley in Statesboro or Dr. Shaw and Gwinnett Clinic and find out what their experience has been and talk to them a, bit, a little bit because they're smaller, they're they're independent. And I think that's key to remain independent. That chronic care management fee, if you will, that you're able to be reimbursed for, for particular touch points that you make on a monthly basis with those patients at risk, particularly like diabetics and uh, hypertension, um, some cardiovascular disease states, I think, uh, fall into those as well. But the cool thing is, is that, yes, you're able to turn on an immediate source of revenue for your practice, 
that is legitimate. You're not you're not uh, cooking the RVUs as they right. like to talk about. <laughs> it's literally one that will bring revenue that lets you offset any kind of cost that you would need if you do need to add somebody, whether it's part or full time. I know there's outsourced res- resources available for this kind of stuff as well, but uh, you can be revenue positive, even adding an extra person if you have to do that. But then, oh, by the way, your patients are going to get better through greater engagement because from what I understand and talking to the folks looking at the chronic disease management, that, that's really what it's about is not waiting till your appointment six months from now or a year from now to know how you're doing. It's to be able to get some of those measurements and data. We talked about data in more real time. And that's what this accomplishes. Now, when it comes to, we talked about data a couple of different ways here. What are we talking about when we talk about transparency and data and how it flows into this? I'd be happy to to start. Um, obviously, we are way down the road with transparency. And um, it's important that all the caregivers are, the care is coordinated and everyone has access to that care plan. It's also important to know that the, the, the data is very secure, HIPAA compliant, in the software health data analytics software that we use, Lightbeam Health is, you know, they are keenly aware and we, you go into the business associate agreement and your, your, all your data that is shared is secure. And do you have thoughts on that as well, Deborah? When we, when we say data transparency, I mean, is there some specific types of data that we're talking about? And when we say transparent, transparent to who? Sure. Um, I'd be happy to, um, add to what Kathy has mentioned, um, I think data transparency, is, as we view it, really is being able to show that data to your healthcare team. So it is secure. Uh, we have business associate agreements also in place, but we use that data to really drive, as I mentioned earlier, actions um, and strategies in a practice um, through the transformation journey. So we have clinical data that a practice can see. We have uh, process data that a practice can see. So we're always engaging with the practice, showing them where they are it, as far as their roadmap and the processes that they identified they were going to work on and being able to show that data back to the practice. As important, that clinical data for us um, a, and for the practices who have enrolled really is sort of the light bulb, if you will, that shows that many practices have, even though they have sophisticated EHR systems, do not have the capability of really looking at their population health. As Kathy has mentioned, that is such an important component as we look at transformation. That's where, that's where the journey's going to population health. So we want to be able to demonstrate to them how they, how they really are faring when they look across their entire population. Such things as chronic disease, um, you know, if you want to take hypertension as, as an example, we can demonstrate what their hypertension control rates are. We can then drill down and say, which of those patients do you need some attention on? Because they're not at control. Their blood pressure is out of range. There are opportunities to really um, do either patient campaigns, bring that patient in uh, earlier, care coordination, all those activities that are really driven by ensuring that data is really available for the care team. And one other thing that we, uh, we have implemented with our practices is that that, that data becomes a, a sort of a daily report that is used as patients come in. So there's pre-visit planning. We say, look at your, let's look at your data. Let's teach you how to, to really not only uh, look at it, but interpret it. And then what do you do with it as far as identifying those opportunities for patients? I know one of the things that has an impact on chronic 
illness management is messaging to the patient, for example. I know that you know, I come from a background where the, one of the practices I worked with here recently was wound care for chronic wounds and patients have homework to do in mm-hmm. their care. They have things that they need to do to get their, their selves better. And part of that comes down to how is it explained to them by the physician? This is vitally important. Clearly, patients can still ignore you even when you have been extremely frank with regards to that. But, but Deborah, talk about how provider satisfaction and, and just their engagement in this whole process is important to this kind of transformation. Sure. Um, and I've mentioned already, I think that physicians um, deliver quality care today. If you were to ask any of them, they would say what the interference is, is some of the system issues related to that. We've talked a little bit about the administrative burden. We've talked mm-hmm. about the fact that, you know, they are doing much more than they need to as they focus on uh, passion, uh, their passion for patient care. So I would say right now that that engagement leads to satisfaction. If a, if a physician can engage directly and, and really drive what they need to with patients, that provides satisfaction to, this, to uh, the physician. They went into medicine for that purpose. It's their passion. Uh, we should be able to support them in their role so that they have that direct uh, interaction and relationship with their patients. And I would also uh, just add to that um, that, you know, some of, some of the, the revenue streams that Kathy has mentioned really becomes a driver. I mean, physicians work very, very hard. We know that over time, their uh, payment systems have been diminished, mm-hmm. <laughs> their payment opportunities. I think this uh, quality payment program is an opportunity, especially for primary care physicians, to really get a leg up on some of uh, what has been in the past sort of not as recognized as far as value. So I think that providing these opportunities, as Kathy has mentioned, around chronic care, some of those current opportunities to drive some revenue is very important. And I think that would bring satisfaction. Many providers don't understand that process right now or don't uh, at least don't institute it within their practice. So um, our role, again, is to help them understand it's chronic care management, transition care management, all those other opportunities, those incentives that are in place today and certainly in the future. When you look at the practices that you've been working with over the past couple of years, are you seeing some either characteristics or traits that are emerging that are they're putting them on the path to that long-term sustainability of this kind of new direction? Well, I think that um, certainly if they haven't paid attention in the past, they're beginning to pay attention. I mean, part of our work has been really that education. I think CMS has provided some public education around this. So I think there is more attention to this issue. And again, I would just say, I think physicians can get insulted if we say we're driving clinical quality care because they believe and they are delivering clinical quality care. So our messaging is really around, we are there to help you attain the best opportunity to meet the metrics expected under the new quality payment model. And Kathy, talk about, we we mentioned the fact that with regards to chronic care management, there is an opportunity there for revenue that is just sitting there. If you do the the touches that you need to touch and you document them appropriately, then that's revenue that just to switch. You can turn on. Are there other opportunities to, through this transformation process, that my practice can actually add revenues beyond that? 
Yes, and um, I'll back up to say on chronic care management, it is it's really important that everyone knows that there are those that care plan. You have to have act twenty four seven access to a care plan, which is provided through Lightbeam, and then access to nurse advice twenty four seven. And um, in our ACC is what I'll call us for short. <laughs> um, it act we actually provide um, access to a nurse wise. It's a Centene uh, nursing service that provides all of the practices with access or all the the patients with access after hours and weekends in case they have questions and need referral. So that's a little bit everyone needs to know. I just want to make sure everyone knows that the code requires care coordination, access to a care planning um, software, and then, of course, the nurse advice hotline 24-7. But it is, it is definitely worthwhile since this is all provided at no cost in order to, along with the education. The access to the care plan, you're talking about to the patient? Yes, the care, the, there has to be, um, and I want to dig in a little bit better. When you talked about data transparency, let me go in and talk about that data that is available 24-7 and how your pra- the practices that are listening today, how that happens, because IT integration is a really important piece of this. And for you IT geeky people out there <laughs> listening today, uh, just let me say that there's two ways that we upload the files from your um, health information system, and that is either through flat files that you um, develop or prepare for us to upload or um, we can also have a VPN connection and upload the CCD file, which is continuity of care document. That's really where the care planning data comes from. So we just upload that CCD file into our care planning module. And the reason we have to do that is if there's a nurse advice, there's nurse 24-7 nurse advice available, that nurse has got to look at the patient demographics and the patient care plan. They have to be specific and know who they're talking to so they have access to that. That's how chronic care management works. When I'm a patient and I call for access to the nurse line, you're saying that that nurse on the other end can actually then, using this kind of connectivity, be able to see CW's file, if you will, and see what they're talking about. Exactly. And that nurse also has access to all the resources, the local emergency, the pharmacy, even home health and DME equipment providers. So that, yes, they are they're answering with all of the information from our practice and then looking at the patient's file. Now, National Rural Accountable Care Consortium has its own version of annual wellness visits. Talk about that. How's it different? Well, it's really important um, that all when you are implementing annual wellness visits, it's one of those things, again, you can't just check the box. You can't. And um, there's some really nice payments. There's the Welcome to Medicare, which is the first payment or the service that's available to Medicare beneficiaries in the first 12 months. And then following that, there's an initial Medicare visit. It's a substantial payment, but what nobody really knows and we have workflow documents and regional workshops where the practice managers, administrators, and care coordinators come together to learn exactly what is this workflow and how can we maximize our time with the patient. A couple of things. First of all, advanced care planning. 
is a brand new code effective this year. And no one knows that if you, um, you ask for the patient's permission to discuss it and if they want to discuss it, you can add that. It's an $86 payment and it's available um, to be paid in addition with the modifier 33 on the claim. And the important thing about that is there's no copay um, or deductible applied when you in- include that advanced care planning in with the annual wellness visit. So it's important through the workflow document that as you're asking the questions, you also also include and integrate all your screenings. If you detect that there's an unstable patient uh, there, or you ask a question, have you fallen recently? And they say yes. Then we want to make sure that we provide a screening called timed up and go or tug. And so we, we include that so that it's, these screenings have additional payments and all the screenings that the, the patient qualifies for, then we make sure that that's integrated in with the wellness visit. And then finally, on annual wellness visits, it's important to do dual visits. It's important for the front end to understand if Ms. Jones is, is due for her annual wellness visit and she's there 45 minutes early and if we have a time slot, Let's go ahead and take care of that before or after her sick visit. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't know you can bill those on the same day. Interesting. It's really important, but it's all about including it and changing your workflow to adopt these new ways of doing things. It's really important. You know, if I don't have some of the, I, I know that there are technology companies out there that are trying to innovate around maybe providing a plug-in type application or one that can relate uh, and interact with the EMR. If I don't have any of those things that automate some of the chronic care management, for example, I, we, not too awful long ago, I interviewed a company that that's tackling that side of thing, the chronic care management piece and automating some of it. But if I don't have that, I mean, from a workflow perspective, how does this really change my life? The, the, you know, the practice transformation. Um, from the practice side, yeah, honestly, um, it I sounds just, like there's a whole lot more stuff I have to do. But I have a right. feeling that with with strategic arrangement of who's going to handle what within a practice, and I would imagine you were able to advise on that. That it maybe is not as disruptive as what I'm sure our listeners are thinking. Holy cow, how are we going to do this? Um, I know a lot of people with chronic care management uh, programs and softwares, and you know they bring it off site and they charge approximately fifty percent. And I have to say, if I have all the tools. I want my patient in my practice. I want my nurse care coordinator creating a relationship with that that patient. I do not understand with the tools available at no cost to implement this program, why you would outsource it. And I just want to encourage everyone listening today to to dig in and uh, you can you know go to our website. It's on the I think it's on the materials nationalruralaco.com and you can learn a little bit more. Because um, don't don't give away half the half of your revenue in order to do something that you're capable of. But in the long run, here's your change. This is your this is your actual um, culture changing your culture. This one chronic care management, and because we focus on this early on, it it it, it sort of imp- helps you implement all the rest of the processes. It it puts your care coordination care coordinator in touch with your sickest chronic patients with two or more chronic conditions. So 
Oh, really? I know we have a lot. Um, in Georgia, we have about 40 care coordinators that are certified as clinical health coaches. We have them all over the state. And um, they are, they're very pleased. The practices are pleased with the, all of the success that they're having and, and reducing unavoidable admissions and, and readmissions, clearly. That's the bottom line from the hospital systems. They need to make sure that, you know, that they're managing these patients to, to keep that cost down. And, and the hospitals are really um, getting penalized for these avoidable admissions, you know, in many cases. So <laughs> can you tell I'm passionate about chronic <laughs> care management? <laughs> Do it. Now, Deborah, earlier you were talking about the fact that there are still obviously practices out there that haven't enrolled and and talk you know before we run out of time here we're just about out so for those practices that haven't started i mean what's life going to be like over the next couple of years well i think um i mean there's going to be survivors um you know i think it's going to be more challenging for practices who haven't engaged in the tcpi um i think that again they're going to have to do an internal assessment as far as where they are today what resources they need to build and then um, what path they're going to take under the new quality, quality payment program. I would encourage, as Kathy has, that um, you know, if you're thinking at all about where you want to be to really engage the opportunities still open in Georgia uh, by, from both PTNs, we can exceed enrollment. Um, and we, too, are talking with uh, CMS about the next phase as far as is their um, continued funding for uh, the PTNs who have exceeded. And there are some who exceeded besides the two of us. So I would encourage practices really to study. If you don't know, attend where you can. There's WebExes being provided both through our PTN, I know through Kathy's PTN, as well as CMS, to learn more about what it's going to mean to you as a practice under the quality payment program and engage. Where do they go for, for your PTN? Uh, we have a website. It's www.qualityimpact.org. Um, there's some information about our offerings there, as well as there's contact information. And actually, if you're interested in just getting more information, there's a form to complete on the website and we'll contact you. And Kathy, what is the one for NRACC? Yes, it's www.nationalruralaco.com. And as Deborah mentioned, we have a form that you can fill out to request more information. You can um, also email me at kwitmire at nationalruralaco.com. If your practice hasn't gotten itself involved with a PTN, haven't reached out to them to begin to learn where your practice stands, and where it is relating to some of these changes that are coming to a practice near you, yours included probably, and, and will have some significant impacts on the way you're reimbursed. Um, and it can have far-reaching effects for sure. And, and it, it'll take, well, I guess it goes a year or two of evaluation. And it, my, my experience over the last couple of years is impacted, or impacts what I make this year in terms of that. So like I say, get Get started now while there's still some opportunity to link up with these services, the, the, the practice transformation networks don't cost you anything. They're not selling you anything. Uh, as we've shared here, there's, there's some good uh, resources available to our Georgia-based practices. And uh, if you want more information, make sure you get to qualityimpact.org or at nationalruralaco.org. Dot com. Uh, dot com, rather. Sorry about that. There will be links to that on the uh, show page as well that you can just go straight to it. 
Um, I'm sure Medical Association of Georgia has information on their website as well for its members at mag.org. If you're coming back and you're checking out the podcast, if you've not done so already, clearly we're talking about some important things for your practice and your patients. So subscribe to us. That's the Apple logo on the upper left-hand corner of the show page. It'll take you to iTunes. You just click subscribe. And that way, when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to check out when it's convenient for you. And we hope you turn around and share this information with your social media networks. You might just be putting information out there that helps somebody that is important to you. So we'll say thanks in advance for the folks that go to that trouble sharing our, our information with their social media networks. I want to say thanks so much for our guests, Deborah and Kathy. You guys were great. Thank, Thank you. you. And was, thanks to Mag, to Susan Moore for the invitation mm-hmm. and um, for this radio show. It's a wonderful way to get the word out to our Georgia physicians. Well, people have certainly been taking notice of some of these issues that we've been talking about here on the Top Docs radio show. I'm really pleased to be partnered with Mag and Susan and Lori and Donald and Tom over at Medical Association of Georgia have been great partners, been awesome getting to know those folks and getting to uh, talk to the physicians around the state of Georgia, helping us improve healthcare and the working environment for our physicians in the community. Everybody who made us a part of your day today, I want to say thanks so much. We appreciate you very much. We look forward to catching up with you in a few days. We'll see you then. 